This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Thank you for joining me on the Football CFB podcast, Roger. It's, it's my pleasure. And um, I don't do a lot of these things, but I, I'm really curious more about yourself than, than anything. You know, you're a, a younger generation of football fan. You're following a community club. Um, you know, there's all this talk about what the younger fans want and what kind of content they, they look for. So um, it's me that's thanking you. Thank you. And, um, I'm interested to start. When did, when and where did you start playing football as a youngster? Well, just like everybody, really. So I, I, I would have been going to school in the seventies, um, and you know, playground uh, breaks, lunchtime, after, uh, then in the summer, obviously playing in the street until the the sun went down, which would you know be half ten, eleven, with, with the local mates, um, played for the school. Um, started with a couple of amateur teams um, but uh, didn't really like that so I continued to more play with my mates and then um, I had uh, good luck a lot of summers to go to my grandparents home in Italy uh, when the summer holidays were on for a lot of that time and so I played a lot of football uh, as a young a young lad in Italy in the summer um, and that would be Pretty classic background, no different from MDL's Callum. In terms of, you mentioned Italy there, which Italian team do you follow, Roger? That, listen, I, I, there's not anyone really, you know, I could, you know, I think we'll maybe come on to this uh, on the on the call in general. Um, I'm a follower of the talents and the, the teams and the great performers more than, than a brand, certainly when it's not my own team. So you know, I would say that I followed um, I followed the Juventus team in the the late 70s, early 80s, uh, and then obviously I was in Italy at the time of the great Milan team. Um, I Juventus now a little bit, but honestly, you know, you judge these things by the pain you feel when the team gets beat, yeah. and, and I feel absolutely none for any of these teams when they got beat. In terms of individual players, then who are the talents that you grew up? Idolising. Well, let's stay in Scotland then. Um, uh, I uh, I love Tommy Burns, um, not because he's the archetypal cell and anything like that, but because of the way he played. You know, he, he, you know that Tommy twist, Tommy turns <laughs> type thing. I really liked that, and the way he would drop a shoulder and um, he could see a pass. And then, you know, critically, you know, I really got into the team when um, Charlie Nicholas was just coming through, Paul McStay, um, Danny Craney, uh, David Moyes, um, all, all of that team that I was following as, as the reserve team as they were breaking through. I got very, very excited about the prospects for Celtic. And then obviously Charlie became what he became and, and I just thought it was magnificent. And um, you know the day the day he left was 
was quite a seminal day for me about how I approached, how I looked at Celtic, how I looked at Scottish football and how I looked at the way the game globally was going to develop. That, that I would say that would have been the, the epiphany moment for me. In terms of, you mentioned there how the game has developed, you obviously were heavily involved with the SPL. Um, how did that come about and were you enthused to get involved in the business side of football um, when you weren't going to be a player? Um, well, no, it came about very strangely. I was working in the music business and, you know, mainly out of curiosity, I replied to an ad in the Sunday Times. They were looking for a new CEO and I just was curious to understand in the context of everybody saying that, you know, it's the establishment in Scotland and certain backgrounds and profiles will never get a chance in Scottish football. And I just thought, well, they've put an ad in the paper Um I'm going to apply to it. Um, I've got a background in um, the entertainment business. I've got a background in businesses that do big contracts with, with talent, the music business. Uh, I've been a sports journalist. Let's see how they react to that. And to cut a very long story short, you know, within a couple of weeks, they offered me the job, which, you know, took me by surprise, took uh, took my, my wife by surprise and made me have to think about a lot of changes. So I approached it as a bit of a laugh. And um, before I knew it, they, they, they wanted me to, to join. And that's, that's exactly how it went. In terms of being the chief executive of the SPL, it's a, it's a job that I think at times um, can be a thankless task in the sense that you're damned if you do certain things and damned if you don't. Did you find at that times, reaction at times at from times, fans? That's funny. <laughs> it's always like that, Callum. This is the classic job of all the responsibility and none of the power. And, um, you know, when people criticise, whether it's Neil or whether it's Scudamore or the guys at the EFL, uh, you know, they don't understand that, you know, you don't have any power. All you can do is make recommendations that mainly the clubs will vote on based on their own self-interest. And then you're fighting fires when crises happen. This this isn't a, a, a leadership role. This is a heat shield role that you're paid to take all that responsibility and just suck it up. In terms of the role in general and the, the business side of football, especially when you are chief executive of a league, what what goes on behind the scenes that us as fans maybe aren't aware of? That's a good question. Um, the what, what the fans in the main aren't aware of is how their own clubs uh, survive and then obviously their own clubs then become a league and how that league survives. Um, you know, the old days of, um, you know, you still hear these comments a little bit, oh, my club isn't spending the season ticket money. You know, they've got all that cash now. But it makes you understand that fans don't understand that, you know, the the the, the, the P&L account of a, of a club has is, is got income and it's got costs. Um, and, you know, what they really don't understand is that for all of the clubs in Scotland, outside of Celtic and Rangers, uh, television money is the thing that makes them survive. So they seem to not want to grasp that fact that the people that are paying that television money want a return. They're not doing it for the good of their health. They're doing it because they themselves are selling a product, whether it's a television subscription or whether it's advertising. Uh, and I always feel that a lot of football fans just don't understand that context. At the end of the day, 
the passion, the, the, the loyalty, the colours, the, the, the players. If the money numbers don't add up, none of it exists, Callum. Yep, no, absolutely. And what I'm interested to ask about is, again, we talked about the job of the chief exec at times being a thankless task. And I think it is particularly particularly thankless when it comes to TV deals. How hard are those to negotiate? Well, listen, um, I, I could be very, very um, intellectual and theoretical and smug about this, but the reality is, as in all things in life, a lot of this timing, if you have got new entrants coming into the market that want to like, get subscribers onto the platform, then there'll be more than one bidder for the rights, and you put out a tender and you say bid, and then you choose the highest, the highest bidder. Those are in the good times, and it's a particularly easy job. The difficulty is the internal one, which is uh, uh, windowing the rights so that the clubs and the centre, the league, have got what they want, because the big clubs will want to keep as much as possible for themselves. They'll want to put stuff on their, their club uh, channels, their club platforms, and the more they do that, the less value there is at the centre. So the hardest job is to find the compromise between what you at the centre are selling as a package and what the big clubs ideally want. But, you know, the external market, you've got to get lucky. You know, um, in 2001, uh, when we were going to the market, we had had um, the dot-com bust and we had 9-11, and which meant a severe media recession. All the people that had been around, like NTL, like on digital, they just all went bankrupt. Sky was the only bidder in town, and um, they bid low, which is what you do in business. Um, you know, other times you've got new people coming into the marketplace. Maybe this could be one of them. You've got the zone, you've got eleven, you've got maybe the social guys. Uh, you know, Amazon and, and Facebook, uh, and and there you you just need to put out a tender and say bid, folks, and then you have an option. Um, that's as simple as I would put it in, in the most kind of like common sense way, Callum. That sounds good, and I'm interested. This is a question that. I'm interested to ask, Roger, to yourself, is over the last couple of years in Scottish football, Sky and BT have shared the rights, and for me that's been healthy because I think competition's healthy, particularly with broadcasting. Now, Sky are going to get the rights exclusively for, I think it's five years. Pers- what's your personal opinion? Do you like it when there's one sole broadcaster in charge, or do you like that competition element? Um, I prefer one sole broadcaster. It's a very good question. This, so, so if you don't mind, I'll take a little bit of time on this. Of course, absolutely. Um, um, the um, a sport should have one broadcaster in charge of telling its story, because it, it is all about a story. You know, sport these days is creating the anticipation, creating the rivalry, creating even a little bit of the soap opera, the pantomime. You know, and and if people don't really accept that have a look at uh, Conor McGregor and have a look at Logan Paul and, and, and what those YouTubers are doing in the boxing ring. So you absolutely need somebody who is committed to building up your sport and telling the story. Now, when you've got more than one uh, person doing that, and in Scottish football's case, correct me if I'm wrong, you've got three or four, if you include the BBC as well, yeah. um, that's not going to work. Uh, and, you know, uh, you've, you've seen over the years people complain I think I'm right in saying that they, they preferred BT Sport uh, over Sky, who they felt you know treated Scottish football a little bit dismissively. And that comes back to what I was saying before. 
that the people that buy your sport the rights, they're doing it for their agenda, not yours. So Sky are, you know, they probably want to make sure they don't lose subscribers in Scotland. The best way to do that is with the old firm. I'm sorry to say that. It's not Scottish football. It's the old firm. And, you know, they will cover that probably with the least cost possible to maintain that defensive position. You know, so um, that's really the key to how I believe in it. In terms of the auction, you want to have as many of them bidding against each other as possible and, and, and hopefully selling exclusivity so that they know that if they don't get it, they will have nothing. Giving everybody a little bit doesn't maximize their need to, to get it. You know, there's no fear of missing out in that case. So for both of those reasons, in terms of like bidding strategy and also more importantly, who's in charge of telling your story as a sport, it should be one broadcaster. And, you know, uh, hopefully Sky does a decent job. Um, everybody tells me that they're not really committed to it. But, you know, Sky's just been taken over by um, Comcast. So again, a whole lot of uncertainty there, Callum. I'm interested to move on, and this seamlessly moves on, actually. In the era of Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, streaming English Premier League games, do you look back on your SPL TV proposal and think, I was ahead of my time? Well, first of all, I would never say I, I, I was ahead of my time. You know, um, everybody's a, 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 a child of their circumstance. And I said a, a few minutes ago that we got unlucky in the timing. Uh, regarding um, the media rights. So we only had one bidder, and to try and get that bidder to bid higher, you know, we, we came up with the idea of SPL television, and it was all the clubs. It wasn't, you know, me sitting in an office saying, isn't this visionary? It was me saying to them, this is possible, we should think about it, and if you want, we'll, we'll do this as proper business people. And that's the, the way it went ahead. Um, sadly, Celtic and Rangers changed their mind at the last minute, but that's that's another chapter for another another different book. But you know, to answer your question today, do second tier sports rights, which was what the SPL is, do second tier sports rights probably need to market it themselves and sell it directly to their fans or their customers? the way Netflix, the way Spotify, the way Amazon do? The answer to that must be yes. For the reason I said before, who do you want to be telling your story today about Scottish football? Should it be a Scottish league that understands everybody's needs and everybody's own story? Or, or is it a broadcaster that frankly is only interested in Celtic and Rangers? You can answer that question yourself, Callum. Absolutely, and that's a good point because it's something that, I think, as I say, the reason I said ahead of your time is, again, yourself, you might not say that, but I would, when I look back now, I think the fact that you proposed that and the clubs proposed that almost 20 years ago now, to me, that is ahead of its time. And I think, I think as you've said, for me, looking back, it's just such a missed opportunity because I think Scottish football with BT Sport, as you said earlier, and, and I would echo, did a great job. Why aren't the clubs interested in bringing it under their own um, control and, and producing more content like that and getting it direct? Well, I'll tell you the answer to that. And this isn't just uh, be, uh, Scottish football. The, the football industry is an industry where you have got 
again, forgive me if, if it seems to be a little bit economics and business focused, but there has to be. It always comes back Absolutely. to this. Football clubs are uh, involved in a whole lot of multi-year contracts with players that uh, need to get paid whether they've got the income or not. You, you've got a player on a contract for four years. You have to pay them. So what do you look to do as a business when you have got those liabilities that are fixed and long-term multi-year? You look for fixed and multi-year certain revenues, which is what the broadcaster does. You know, they just put a check down. So what you're talking about here is the absolute conundrum for the sports industry in general now, not just in Scotland, which is how do we wean ourselves off the safe and certain revenue that we can budget on today to move towards the, the better model, which is the Spotify, Netflix, know your client, know your fan, market to them directly, personalized stories, data-driven. All of that is absolutely the way to go ahead. And yes, we were ahead of our time, but you know, leave that for others to say. But the, the point is clubs would love to, but I'm not sure their bank managers would let them, Callum. You need to understand that it's not easy yeah. for them to get off the, the, the cocaine of the, the certain money up front. It's really important to understand that. Absolutely. And as you've said, for, for me as a fan, it's fascinating to get that insight from you because, as you've said, it's as football fans, I'm guilty of it myself. Like you mentioned season ticket money earlier. There is an attitude from fans. You know what it's like with the transfer window with Jim White and the yellow tie. It's a now, now, now. We must, we must act immediately. No, no, you, you're absolutely right. And, and, and that's why um, I, I sometimes you know, come across as being rather harsh on fans because I just don't think they understand the realities of it. And any time you get any ones that end up being on the board or the fans own the club or, you know, Dundee United, you know, somebody like Jim Spence that goes up there, goes inside under the hood at Dundee United and he says, oh God, you know, it's not easy. And everybody thinks, you know, I, I, I think fans have got an attitude with the owners of clubs like a little bit, leave your credit card behind the bar, we'll all have a good time and see when your credit card's maxed out, get lost. You're no use to us anymore. And, and that's, that's what I feel a lot. You know, on the other side, clubs take fans for granted 100%. Clubs don't do enough to give the fans exactly what they want. And when I say the fans, that's not one category of fans. There's different categories. I mean, one of the things I'd like to ask you, Callum, is this. You know, you, you're a young guy. How, how old are you? I'm 24. Right, so you're, 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 you're absolutely young Gen Z. Gen Z certainly, um, or, or, you know, the very end of the millennials. So you, in theory, should not be that interested in a local community club like Greenock Morton. You should, in theory, be interested in the, the tricks and the clips and the videos on YouTube and the big stars and the Hollywood clubs. Uh, because, you know, uh, the, the, these, are, these are not opinions. These are, this is data. The, 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 the demographic average for... Uh, fans of clubs like yours is getting older and older and older. Yep. I guess you can probably see that with your own eyes when you go to Capelo. Absolutely. It's a lot of old boys, isn't it? Yes. Right. So you, you, you tell me, why is it that you are still committed to your club, your community, the, the history of Greenup Morton, and why that gives you your football fix? 
and and you know clubs should be asking you this. They should be saying, what is it that you like? What is it I can do more for you? And how do I get more people like you to come along? Because tell you what, the ones that you see around there, the 80%, they're going to die in the next 20 years. And where is my club going to be then? No, I agree, Roger. And for me, to answer your question, the reason I'm so interested in Scottish football and Morton is I think the overexposure of the English Premier League, to be honest with you, helped has helped uh, spurn that passion for me. When I was growing up as a teenager, as you said, you've summed it up perfectly, I was attracted to the Hollywood clubs or Man United are playing Man City or even daft things like Stoke are playing Newcastle and they've got a £15 million player on the park. Oh, I need to watch that game because that's where all the quality is. But I feel like as I've got yeah. older, um, I kind of see through. The not the English Premier League is great, great at what it does, but I just feel like the money's got to such an obscene level that I feel like I can't connect with it anymore. Whereas with Scottish football, with Scottish football, I feel that we're not the richest. Um, certainly, you've mentioned Morton. We're not the richest club. Fan ownership might be an option in the future, um, as, as people are talking about. But I think the reason I am committed to Scottish football and Morton is, one, I think it's still real and pure, which does sound quite strange. But I think that when you go to Capital or you go to a Scottish football game, you still get tackles, you still get um, passion from the, the stands. There's no VAR, it's not diluted in any way. It's still the way it was maybe 30, 40 years ago. And I really quite like that. And the access you get as well, um, working alongside Morton at the moment, the access I've got to players and the manager is incredible. And, and I can't thank the club enough because I look down south and the lack of access for, for someone... If I, for instance, if I was born in Oxford and I set this podcast up, I don't think I would get anywhere near the access that I'm getting in Scottish football. That, that, that's very well articulated. And, and you know, I, that makes me come back to the point you said before. You'd answer your own question. Who do you want to be um, marketing the sport to for people like you? Um, should it be Sky Sport, who are only ever going to, you know, squeeze the the old firm lemon, and, and and they're not really bothered about anything else. No, nobody's going to tell me that's not the case. I know it is the case. Absolutely. Uh, or do you want um, a league on channel that, 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 as you know, Stuart Crossgrove said in my own podcast, that that uh, imaginatively, you know, takes that passion that you've articulated and goes to take some lifestyle stories about you know, you and maybe one of the older uh, Morton fans, you watch a game together, you put a camera on that, you talk about the old players, Andy Ritchie, you know, that's the only people that will be able to ever do that well is SPL TV. And and it was a missed opportunity, um, but I think it's gone, Callum, you know, um, for the reason I said, with all the will in the world, your club, uh, Morton, you know, if you said to them, look, we can't guarantee the money you get from the league now, um, but we're going to become, you know, media company and we'll go sell subscriptions and it, it'll work out, uh, trust us. You know, I, I think you'll get a hard time, Callum, if you're at the league. Uh, and, you know, that's the real, real challenge. I agree in, in terms of SPL TV. Um, that's why when I started the podcast, I wanted to get you on because... You're, you're someone who I've always been interested in, which because the football side and the business side for me are, are equally as interesting. And West TV, growing up, I was very young when that was mentioned, but as I've grown up and I read back on football um, through the years, I think, as you've said there, it is a missed opportunity. And I just think 
as you've said, sadly the ship has probably sailed, but in terms of football content, for instance, with this podcast at the moment, the reaction to the podcast in general has been quite good because people like the idea of someone like myself, an ordinary fan, asking people questions without getting without the need for a headline or sensationalising anything, you know, and I think we need more pure, true content that's not just interested in a sensationalisation of the piece, like as you've said with Celtic Rangers with Sky. Sky, for instance, will cover St Mirren Aberdeen last week. There's hardly any advertising of it. There's hardly any promotion of that. Um, And I think that's what peeves a lot of people off that support the smaller clubs and understand Sky's point of view that they have to obviously cater to Celtic Rangers because they are the two biggest clubs in this country, that they have the biggest fan bases. But I think... Scottish football is crying out for an entity that is going to, for me, put the focus on all the clubs. I'm not saying an equal platform because Celtic Rangers would always get more exposure than the others because of the demographics, let's be honest. But I think in Scotland, we need, we need especially now, something like an SPL TV. We need to be able to promote our game worldwide or to, maybe not, maybe the ambition of worldwide maybe unrealistic you could argue at times but we need to as you've said get the product directly to the people that want it and give them what they're asking for yeah um you know i don't know whether you know this but uh we next year next season we will put in one of the things that will allow this kind of thing from the money side which is lower cost production um you know we'll put in um AI uh, cameras from Pixelot into into your ground. Into, so basically it'll be the championship in Scotland. Uh, we've done that deal with Neil uh, that will allow um, cameras uh, into the championship to maybe start to think about offering the kind of um, service that you're alluding to there. But always, you've got to remember that whilst we, people can do that well, they can do it in, passionately the way that somebody like you would do it. The numbers still need to add up. Yeah. And, and you know, anybody that's worked in media in Scotland, in sports media in Scotland, will tell you that the numbers are much more polarised than anybody can ever think. Yeah. If you look, go to any newspaper or any radio station in Scotland and you say, what is the split between old firm and the rest in terms of interest and engagement on content pieces, articles, videos, audio, it's dramatic. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking like, you know, like 60-40. I'm talking like 90-10. Yeah. You know, so that's another thing I don't think the fans understand. You know, I saw in the paper today uh, on Twitter, you know, the Sun leading with a headline about Charm getting a, a parking fine, you know? Now, for a football fan, is that anything of interest? The answer is clearly no. no. Would I prefer to hear a little bit about, you know, a young Scottish player that was playing in the championship and, you know, maybe people are saying he could be the next big thing? Of course I would. But, you know, that's not going to sell the paper. Cham getting a parking ticket where you see his face when he sees it on on the windshield, that's what sells papers. And, and, you know, this is the the reality of it, Calum, and the reason, you know, we can have this conversation is because you're you're, you're starting to see this. You're starting to be curious and experiment. And that's going to be the the, the reality of how this all develops here. It has to be done for people the way you said it. It can be done, but the economics need to be right. 
And then you need to get rid of all these old attitudes. You know, if you look back at, at, at my SPL, we never had a good word said about us in four, in four years. Certainly not about SPL television. Certainly not about the Atlantic League or all the other things, SPL2, all the other things we try to, 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 to promote. And that's because there's, there's, there's a whole lot of people up there that don't like change, that are scared of new, that will say, well, oh, this is threatening my livelihoods. And, you know, to be honest, you know, Scottish football has declined because of those attitudes. They've not wanted to embrace change. And that's where we are. And that's why I wanted to come on this podcast, because you're clearly not that. You're, you're, you're doing something. I listened to the, 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 the previous episodes. You know, you, you've got a different angle. And, you know, good luck to you. But it's, it's a hard shift up there, mate. It is, and I think the thing that I find as well, Roger, and I would never have a go at sports media journalists because I understand newspapers are in decline and it must be hard. Something that I must say I find quite quite difficult at times is the embargo situation where if if I cover a match after a game, I can get both managers, but if I interview a player, I'm not allowed to put it out to the Monday or Tuesday. And, and understand for the newspapers that's the point of view, so I don't actually take the players after the games anymore. Who, because who says that to you? Who gives you that embargo? Who is it? it the journalists at the game. Now, why do you listen to them? Well, what have they got to do with you? Well, that's the thing. I suppose you just—I think at the moment when you start out, you just you worry that you you don't want to cross anyone the wrong way, you know. Oh, you're worried about these dinosaur journalists are somewhere going to like hamper your career. And they they don't want you to put out the fact that you've got to the player before them. I thought you were going to say the club had embargoed it or, or something like that. Let me give you a bit of advice, Callum. They're dying. You don't need to worry about them. Just go ahead. And the more you make yourself uh, seen as somebody who's doing it differently with a little bit of innovation and, 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 and hustling a bit, you know, I don't know if you know the guy Johnny McFarlane. You know, like who, who a little bit like you um, started a podcast called The Football Hacks. Yes. And uh, you know, then he, you know, he took that into getting a job at the Daily Record, and then he went into other things, and he's back at the Record now. Go for it, mate. You know, like guys that have been in that press box for thirty years doing the same old thing, seeing their circulation decline by ninety percent. That is not your role model. Just think about what you said earlier, the kind of interesting stories and ideas and, you know, your your audience, the tech allows you to get to that audience without a newspaper, without anybody else. And if you say that your club likes what you're doing and they're being nice to you, there you go. You don't need any intermediary. Absolutely. And the reason I mentioned, also the embargo situation is because... I think, like, for instance, I my first podcast, the first game I covered was Morton Dunfermline a few weeks ago. I did a summary of the game, so an oral summary, which meant I wasn't, like some newspapers, um, I wasn't hindered to only 200 words. I was able to express my summary, and then I got post-match reaction from both managers. The game finished at five, and I could have that podcast out for fans by seven o'clock at night, and the reaction was brilliant. I'm glad I've got this straight away. I'm travelling up the road in the bus. I can listen to my manager. I don't need to wait two or three days for the paper, and I think that's the way we need to go. Well, I mean, like, listen, and I've given you a lot of compliments, so I'm not going to give you this one. You know, Arsenal fan TV, just look at that. You know, do, do you think, you know, um, do you think uh, Robbie there 
the guy you know that's interviewing the fans after the game and doing exactly that and turning it around in two three hours. Do you think he's bothered about what you know the Evening Standard was thinking about? Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, you know th- that the fans are not going to wait for uh, machines to print out ink on paper for something that's going to come out in 24 hours and, as you say, is going to be restricted in the number of words that, that they can give it, certainly for a smaller club like Morton. Your fan base want it out immediately. They yep. want somebody that cares about their club telling it like one of them. You know, you, you're in a completely different market, mate. Just go for it. As I say, thank you for that advice because it's something that what I have found, Roger, and I'll be honest with you, you mentioned there, and I won't name any names, um, since I've started the podcast and I've covered a few games, two individuals in particular have said to me, um, I'm a full-time teacher and I do this as a side project, but obviously one day I'd want this to be my role um, in sports media in some way. And one of the journalists, I won't name as I say, sent me a message saying that um, I should be ashamed of myself because I've got a full-time teaching post and I could be putting someone like a freelancer out of a job by producing the content that I'm doing at a game. Close shop. There was something that in, in my day was called the huddle. Listen, I, I don't want to like you know whinge about the old days, but these guys survived by by huddling together and making sure that it was a closed shop, and they never let anybody else in. And and the tech finally did it for them, and 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 you know they're now there and they come out with lines like this. The fact that they, the that people don't have jobs is because they never embraced the technology in time. And they never thought about new ways to do the content. And, and you know, there's been plenty of examples of sports media companies, you know, House of Highlights, Copa 90, you know, Bleacher Report. There's many that have taken the new model and they're still there saying, oh, you're doing, you're looking at new models, you'll put us out of job. That's just astonishing, but it doesn't surprise me. It's one of the reasons I never, ever came back to Scottish football, Callum. I just couldn't take that mentality. Well, I might as I say, for the most part, the reaction's been great and, and um, the reaction from the, the journalist, and I don't want this to become a, a, a just a, a moaning about journalists, but I got that reaction and the guy said he was going to contact the club. So I contacted the, the club um, involved and the club's reaction was, we invite, we put you on the press list. We're happy with the content you produced. Don't worry about this journalist or that journalist. As long as you're producing content that as a club is posi- positively promoting us, we're more than happy. And, your advice tonight echoed that of the club and a few other people. And, and as you say, I'm going to go for it because I think the problem I have with Scottish football, Roger, is I feel at times there's not enough ambition. We talk ourselves down. and I'm Oh, not... oh there's the word. There's the word. Yeah. I, I feel You're like... right. That's it. You don't need to say any more. That's it. Absolutely. I think we need to be ambitious. And some people mistake ambition for delusion. Like, I'm not a fan who's going to literally sit there. I'm going to Morton Dundee today. I'm not going to do a podcast after the game saying this is the best game of football I've ever seen in the world and that wee guy in the wing's going to be better than Messi because that's delusional. That's not what ambition is to me. Whereas some of the old boys, if you talk the game up too much, you get criticised. And I think that's that's nonsense. I think we need to be ambitious. Yes, realistic, but the ambition has to be there. Yeah. So, listen, uh, I, I want to wish you all the best. The reason I did this, and I don't do a lot of these things, certainly not up there, is because I had a sensation that this was where you were coming from. So, you know, I've heard it now firsthand and and, and keep going. 
And uh, if there's anything I can do in any small way to help, then, then let me know. Absolutely. And I would like to just finish with um, one last question, Roger. Where sure. do you where do you think Scottish football is now, business wise and standard wise? Um, well, I was just uh, uh, contemplating um, the, the the latter part of that question, um, the window that's just closed. Uh, how come? I don't. I'm not, this isn't a, a statement. This is a genuine question. How come a country like Portugal can consistently produce players that sell for fifty, sixty, seventy? Directly, and they don't need validation in a stepping stone, you know, like Celtic, Celtic, Southampton, all the mainly uh, before, you know, uh, Van Dyke and Wanyama and things like that, and then they, they go up in ten times the value. The 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 reality, uh, uh, I think, is because people in the game globally know that the standard in Scotland is not high. Um, that's proven by our international team and it's proven by the results of the clubs in Europe certainly if you take outside uh, the top two you know it's one of the things I keep getting very very angry about that they seem to go on a busman's holiday in June and July to Europe to get spanked by by, by teams that are nobodies and everybody thinks that's okay they have uh, two or three nights of whinging on sports sound on the radio or whatever it's called, and, oh, what are we going to do? And then it's passed, it's gone. Uh, the standard's low, mate. Callum, the standard's low. I, I can't I can't cover your eyes to that. Uh, and, and people that are outside um, Scotland think it's even lower than it is. So that's, that's how bad the perception problem is. Uh, in terms of the business side... Um, Listen, again, I'll be very blunt with you. Uh, it, is, it is run by the interest and the rivalry of Celtic and Rangers. You know, when Rangers liquidated and they came back into the lower reaches of the SFL, you know, Sky still covered them because that's what the game's all about. So if one says, from a businessman point of view, what's driving my revenue here? Answer, the rivalry between Celtic and Rangers. Next question. Will that increase or decrease once the ten in the row fervor dies in eighteen months? Probably decrease. It's, it's going to reach a zenith, I think, in in eighteen months, and then it'll be a challenge to keep people interested in what becomes, you know, one year us, one year them, and then everybody else is nowhere. So I would have to say that both aspects, elements of your question, business and technical ability. I think Scotland's in bad shape. And sadly, I don't see any leadership to change that, Callum. Fascinating answer, and it's been a fascinating interview for me, Roger. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you in the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, Callum.